welcome to the Plant-Based Canada podcast. Join us as we talk with experts to explore the field of nutritional sciences and how our food choices impact our health and the environment. We sit down with Canadian doctors, dietitians, athletes, climate experts, and more to break down the evidence behind a whole foods plant-based diet and discuss the practical steps you can take in your effort to shift toward a healthier lifestyle. Dr. Jeffrey Alfonsi is an engineer and physician specializing in internal medicine, obesity medicine, clinical pharmacology, and toxicology. He serves as the chief product and medical officers of RX Food. He currently practices at Trillium Health Partners, Cleveland Clinic Canada, and London Health Sciences Center. Dr. Alfonsi has an interest in the delivery of personalized medicine and is actively involved in the research to develop a model to deliver personalized medicine across Ontario and Canada. He also believes in the power of diet and lifestyle medicine, helping his patients build healthy and sustainable habits when it comes to what they put on their plates. He has maintained his passion for engineering over the years, creating multiple mobile health applications, including RX Food, an app using AI to assess patients' daily eating habits, and is currently developing image processing technologies to identify the nutritional content of foods to better manage chronic diseases. Dr. Alfonsi, thanks so much for coming on the Plant-Based Canada podcast. We really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So let's get started then. Tell me about yourself, how you grew up, what got you interested in health and nutrition. I do understand that before you got into this field, you were you were interested in finance. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, I mean, it's one of those things where uh, you never really know the path you're going to take. And, and so uh, it's always interesting to kind of kind of see where, where life brings you. But you know, at the end of the day, uh, I was always torn between engineering um, and medicine. I, I did think there was a fair bit of overlap with, you know, how the human body works as an ultimate uh, kind of system uh, from an engineering perspective. And so that, that was kind of in that area that I was always very interested. And so I did end up starting in engineering at the University of Waterloo doing system design engineering it was it was the one that had the most kind of overlap with biomedical engineering and and as i went through it the big question was do i want to kind of be an engineer that knows a bit about medicine or or more a physician that knows a bit about engineering and and the more i went through uh it was it was the latter that that seemed more uh interesting to me and and then you know applied to med school and, and didn't get in the first time so that's how it goes and then there was an opportunity to go work um, with one of my co-op employers down on, on wall street in finance. And it, it was a pretty interesting opportunity. And after a lot of thinking about whether going back to grad school and trying to make myself a better candidate for med school, I thought this was such a unique opportunity, I should take it. So I went down and I did that for two years, trading uh, bonds and swaps. Uh, and again, amazing opportunity, but clearly not for me. Um, so I, you know, kind of worked through, did MCATs again and, and applied to med school and then um, got in a couple years later and, and came back um, up to Toronto to, to study medical school there. And then, uh, throughout medical school, I was, I was very interested in kind of internal medicine, really cardiology was one of my main areas of interest. And, and as I went through, um, ended up just sticking with internal medicine and, and even then, I don't think I had a, a strong appreciation for nutrition, uh, at least immediately I was really focused on kind of you know, really a treatment of end stage disease and hospitalized patients. Um, but I did have a, one of my engineering colleagues, um, Elizabeth Choi, she came to me um, saying, look, can you help me and my friend who's living with type 1 diabetes around interesting tools to make it to relieve the stress of eating well? 
um, and and just to understand what's in our food and what that does to our health. And I, I thought that was a really interesting problem and one definitely I had heard many times in clinic, but not really had an answer for. And so that that's how that was about five, six years ago now, but that's really what got me working with a lot more people focusing on health and nutrition. Uh, I did extra training in obesity medicine, lifestyle medicine, got to meet all these amazing people. And then, you know, I always say that, you know, I did nine years of medical school and residency and, and really did not have any appreciation for nutrition. It was only after the fact that I really got into it. And now it's a really a core part of, of practice and something um, just, you know, so excited to, to know and to be able to apply and um, just getting so many more questions from patients about it and being able to have those tools is really rewarding. So again, not really, uh, I wasn't really predicting where I was going to end up, but it's one of those things that is really cool when you look back and see how you got here. So I, we know from some other guests we've had on the show that doctors aren't like, and you mentioned, you alluded to it too, that doctors aren't always, you know, trained in nutrition, or it's not always first and foremost when you're, when you're going through medical school. Um, and then you mentioned your patient bringing up diabetes and that kind of sparked your interest in, uh, you know, lifestyle disease and things like that. When did plant-based uh, diets or any diets, I guess, like types of patterns of eatings, right? The Mediterranean, plant-based, whatever. When did those specific eating patterns really enter, uh, enter the picture for you? For sure. You know, I think with the exception of the Mediterranean diet, which I think probably comes up enough uh, and, you know, that, you know, I knew that one was good even during medical school, but uh, that was probably the extent of it. I would say when I started doing uh, my lifestyle medicine training, that's, that's where I started hearing a lot more about plant-based eating and, and, and other, other eating patterns. But that's, I think that was probably uh, a big start of it. And, and similarly to, to some extent with obesity medicine, because there are some, there's some interesting studies supporting the benefit of plant-based diets, uh, for, for those living with obesity. Um, so like it was about two years ago during the pandemic, this was when I, I did extra training in, in these two areas. And that's, that's where I, I really got introduced to, um, the researchers, the studies, the evidence around these different uh, eating patterns. And, you know, I, I found it really amazing, just kind of the fact that this wasn't, these studies weren't more, I guess, obvious, they weren't uh, taught enough, like, you know, just the impact of these. And, and, and even just the fact that a lot of these eating patterns are, you know, good for the planet, good for people, cost effective, don't really have side effects, right? And yet it's it's just something that it just surprised me that it took me so long to actually understand and 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 to actually start applying uh with patients. So I think that's really again one of those those things that, you know, you, you, ignorance is, is something someone told me you're always kind of battling against the ignorance, what you don't know. Right. And as you learn that, um, then you try to kind of overcome the, the, uh, the stages prior. Um, but yeah, so that, that's kind of how it was about two, three years ago is when I really got into these different, uh, eating patterns, including uh, plant-based being a, a key one that I try to promote with patients. Can you, can you walk me through that a little bit? So when you have patients and you know that, okay, they have, you know, X, Y, Z, one thing that will definitely help them is if they can shift toward a healthier, you know, a diet, get more greens on the plate, et cetera. And you, like, like you just said, it's really hard. Sometimes you, you have lobbyists pushing one thing on one thing and, you know, mainstream diets, but then also cultural uh, differences too, and, and behavior patterns. So there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of extra stuff as a doctor that again, you might not have had all this training coming into it. And now you have to suddenly try to think like, how can I get a patient who is resistant or doesn't understand how to shift toward this healthier lifestyle. Yeah, absolutely. I think you highlighted the the huge challenge there. And, and you know, whenever we talk about changing how someone eats, you got to think about 
you're right, there's social factors, there's economic factors. So how much are these things going to cost? Um, there's cultural factors, there's acceptability. And so, you know, there's, there's huge layers there. And, uh, and there's also like any intervention that we recommend, there's stages of change. So where is someone at, uh, in terms of willingness to make a change and, uh, and, and, you know, sometimes you have to kind of meet them down on the the motivational interviewing spectrum and just kind of get them thinking about it or provide education. And you know, they're not going to change in the moment, but, you know, it's still part of the process. Uh, and then you have people that are a bit more closer into kind of the planning or actually wanting to make that change. And so I think the key point is to identify where someone is on the spectrum of willing to change. And, you know, if they're early on, that's okay. But I think it's worth highlighting some of the advantages of plant-based eating patterns. So certainly with the huge rise in cost of food, plant-based eating tends to be cheaper, right? So economically there's, there's benefit. Um, and, and it might even share some, some examples about if there's certain kind of ethnic foods or spices or flavors, how you can kind of make a plant-based versions taste similar, right? So you may just kind of highlight some of these, the cost and the health benefit, and then just even leave, you know, either provide them resources or leave that open for further ones, right? So just kind of, um, you know, letting them know that, that this is, there's a different way to think about it. And, you know, probably the response I find really interesting um, from patients is, you know what, I, I, I almost just make food because I've always made it that way, or my parents made it that way, or it's just what I do. And when you just even lightly challenge that, it can actually go a long way because, you know, there actually is some flexibility in what they're doing. They just hadn't taken the time to think about it. And, and sometimes when we're busy, we don't have the time to think about what, how do we buy something new? How do we learn how to prepare? How do we do all, all those things? But when you can kind of, again, walk them through those little steps and focus on even small changes, substitutions, or additions of more vegetables into what they're already doing, um, you can try to help make that change, right? So, um, you know, it is dynamic, but when you really get down to trying to make it simple, I think there can be some, some really great responses. And, and, you know, I actually find that, that most people I talk to are more than happy to make that change. You just gotta, you know, find the place to start. How does sustainability play into your approach? So like you just said, you know, you have to make those little changes and meet them halfway, but it also sounds like, you know, not everybody's going to go the full, you know, completely change plant-based or, or adopt a certain, you know, especially when they've lived a certain way, it's very hard to shift after, after time. So you have to also consider what is the sustainable change? What is something that they know that they'll do to continue doing that? So I'm guessing that that probably plays a lot into, into your approach. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I think from a sustainability perspective, uh, that's, that's probably the, the key I think there's, there's you know, maybe two ways to interpret that one is, you know, from a global uh, sustainability, and, and I do bring that up. And then there's also can someone actually sustain the change that they made. So I'll, I'll just quickly touch on both of those. So maybe starting from a global perspective. So I think, you know, I just try to be mindful and educate people on the fact that, you know, the, the greenhouse gas effect of food is, is quite significant overall. Uh, and there's particular things like beef that have fairly profound amounts of greenhouse gas production versus plant-based, which tend to be a fraction of that. And so I think it's an important part and there are definitely more patients that are looking at wanting to do that and to, and wanting to, to do what they can to make the planet healthier, to help their kids. And, and so I think there's a sustainability part that helps support motivation 
Uh, and then there's also the fact of how do I get someone to sustain a behavior change, right? And that, again, it might come back to finding what is your motivation? What is your goal? That could very well be um, that, you know, I've got kids and, and I want to sustain uh, the planet. I want to live well. Um, or it could be they're really honing back to, you know, what are you worried about from a chronic disease perspective? Are you worried about cancer? Are you worried about obesity? Are you worried about arthritis because of your obesity? Are you worried about diabetes? Uh, and how our heart disease and how these are going to affect your ability to maybe play with grandkids or function. And so really getting at that motivation um, becomes an important part of it. And then I think it's also really important to be able to measure how people are doing. Um, and, and, you know, that's one of the things that I'm really interested in is how do we kind of kind of take snapshots of eating patterns to reflect on those eating patterns, but then also to show that how over time, you're making changes to eating patterns that are actually adding value, right? And so people don't have to change everything, but what can you change and how can you actually see that change over time? And that can be really helpful. The other thing that I like to do is uh, wherever possible, I do like to do biometrics, right? So if I can do blood work, if I can do weight, if I can do blood pressure, whatever we can measure that's relevant um, and showing how these changes are improving that. Um, I also like to get at how are you feeling, right? Because we know there's really powerful links to how people eat and, and well, most specifically, if you're not eating as well, more highly processed foods, obesity, diabetes links, and uh, cognitive function, depression, right? So sometimes the first change people find is, you know, I'm doing this because I really want to lose weight. But, you know, the first thing I felt, I didn't really see the weight change yet, but I'm feeling a lot more energy. I'm feeling more clear. And I really focus on all of those things because they improve the quality of life, right? And so I think you really have to help people see that that diet can have a huge impact. And by understanding and measuring how, what it's doing to you, it can help make that more sustainable. And then the final point I like to do is I try to make sure that these habits are actually built, right? That people aren't making radical changes to diets that are way more likely to fail, but rather they have walked through and problem solved ways where they are going to make plant-based more a focus of their diet. And they've actually learned how to shop, prepare, and integrate that into their cooking and routines. Their families may enjoy it and all those other pieces. It's acceptable that fit in. And we really work on adding those in. And once those are kind of really built in or core, I think the probability of them uh, being sustained is is far greater. So so, so speaking of, of recording and measuring these changes and, and considering the, the long-term sustainability of them, you've gone kind of above and beyond to help your patients. You've, uh, and maybe this is where your, your interest in engineering comes in too, but you have developed something called uh, RX Food. Can you tell us about that and how it works? Yeah, absolutely. And so RX Food, basically, it, it does come back to that, that story I told you earlier about you know, Elizabeth coming to me and uh, Elizabeth will, will share that, you know, she lived through an eating disorder and then she had a good friend living with type 1 diabetes and both of them found that it was very confusing um, to understand food and what it was doing. And, and so we actually came together to create RX Food. And so, um, you know, RX Food was really initially co-designed in the clinical setting. So at the hospital for sick kids uh, with patients and clinicians uh, and engineers and really worked through the problems of, of what people want to know uh, about their food. And at the end of the day, there was kind of, you know, two key themes that came out. Um, the first one is, you know, I do want to know what's in my food, but tracking at least in its current form is really 
uh, a poor experience. I don't like searching databases. I don't like writing things down. It's got to be easier. And so that's where we use photos and image recognition. So you could just take a picture of your food. Uh, it would estimate what's in it, the size, uh, and to being able to do that for complex foods and various ethnic foods was really an important part of it. So first point, make it really easy to get the data in. The second point is give me data back that actually makes sense. And when you think a lot about um, you know, previous kind of number-based nutrition, you know, uh, you know, 1500 calories here, hundred grams of carbs there, four servings of, you know, fruits or vegetables or five, one serving of this. And so it became very, it, people find that very hard to understand. And so what we wanted to do was actually translate it back into very practical terms, right? So, um, things like, what kind of proteins are you eating? So how often are you eating legumes, right? And and what percentages uh, of all of your protein intake is coming from legumes and, you know, and, and really kind of breaking things down in that way. So what kind of beverages are you drinking, right? Are you having, you know, sugary beverages? Are you having coffee or tea as important ones? Um, looking at different grain types, so more whole grains or refined grains. What are those? Um, and being able to create uh, an idea of what kind of fats you're taking. So are you having more of the, the healthy fats? You know, what kind of oils are you having? Are you having omega-3 containing foods? But really, are you having probiotic foods? How much fiber are you having? So really just trying to, to break this down into the questions people are asking, what our guidelines are telling us, and to be able to reflect back to someone in a very simple way um, through graphs and, and pictures of what they ate um, to see where they're at, uh, and also to provide inspiration and motivation on what they can change to push more towards a more plant-based diet or more healthier protein types. Um, we can also reflect back an estimate of greenhouse gas of their for the foods that they ate over that period to give, bring back that kind of environmental sustainability piece. And so uh, we've been working on this for about five years now with, with everyone living from kind of like type 1 diabetes to advanced heart failure in, in kind of very advanced hospital settings all the way to preventative care and working a lot with family health teams around people that are kind of pre-diabetes, dyslipidemia, uh, and wanting to treat through nutrition and and even some oncology groups too. Um, and so I think, uh, the, the, again, the core of it is make it easy for me to see what I'm eating um, and to give me very clear actions that I can take to help make it better using kind of big data, right? And using the pool of things that, that, that we know out there. Um, and so it could be, for example, like I said, someone really um, wanting to figure out why they want to make a nutrition change. One of the things that we wanted to do is link back why fiber and why, you know, servings of fruit and vegetables make a difference. So we actually um, started calculating things like the Mediterranean score or the mind score, the dash score. And, and people can say, look, if I want to um, improve my cognitive function, well, we do know that people that follow certain patterns in the mind diet may have better cognitive function, right? And so if that's your, you anchor on that as your core behavior change reason, you can then see, you know, the eight or 10 components that's calculating your mind score um, to help you achieve that. And then you can pick those two or three that really matter to you um, and then learn from others even. So what are examples of what other people track that are really great high fiber meals or plant-based meals that you can learn from in a way to kind of help make it a more enjoyable, engaging and just kind of grounding it back into why you're making that change. So that's really uh, what RX Food is about. And uh, yeah, it's been really exciting. And, and I think it's a big part of why I'm 
I'm so much uh, more aware of, of the dietary intervention, why I learned more about plant-based patterns and, and, I'm, you know, and why I'm able to offer this out to my patients uh, in a more scalable um, way. So it's been really exciting to develop RX Food and, and see how it's made a difference on, on the lives of patients. Yeah, I find RX Food really interesting and we'll, we'll, link, we'll link it in the show notes as well so people can check that out. But I have to say, like, there's always sometimes pushback on on uh, apps, you know, uh, people recording and it's time consuming and, and and you nailed it on the head there saying like, we've made it as easy as possible. I think there's also like in the, you know, in some wellness spaces and and diet gurus and, and people online will suggest like, oh, so long as you eat this pattern or you eat this type of food that's included in the specific diet, then you don't need to worry about calories. You don't need to. And I think that once you get to a certain point, these things are um, stepping stones. They're tools to get to a certain, if you're trying to switch your lifestyle in the way of eating, like these are a great way to, first of all, find out what you're eating like, and then change and shift toward the healthier. And you do need these things. You know, even I, who thought that I ate healthy, like when I actually recorded into some type of app, it's like, oh, I'm actually eating way more calories or way more fat or you know, too much of this or too less of this. Um, and it's really important for people to get that sense of where they are and where they need to be. Do you, do you find, I'm curious, do you find, because you, the, the core of it is that you make it easy. Do you find good adherence to the, to people using it? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, one, it's easy. The other thing I, I didn't say is I actually only, only uh, ask people to track for three days, right? They can do more if they want, but the fact that you're just doing three days of pictures and you get a report out of it is kind of engaging and fun. And you actually have extremely high completion rates, right? And and that also hooks people in because when they actually see the report and what it's saying, um, they're very excited to repeat that. And they might say, can I do this again in a few weeks or in a few months after I kind of implement what we talked about? Uh, and so it, it really changes the fact that of, of constant need to data track. Now, like I said, there are probably, I don't know, you can guess 20% of people that really do enjoy tracking everything. And this is great. They can still do that. But the vast majority of us don't like tracking things all the time. Uh, and by breaking this into these kind of sprints and feedback, um, you get really good engagement. Um, and, and it just kind of changes the view of just kind of more a traditional, I just track and look at numbers every day to I actually learn things, apply them and then repeat. So this kind of plays into an interest that you seem to have in in personal medicine, which has become a term that's that's more often used. Can you speak to that at all? Is that something that you're that you talk about with with patients? Yeah, for sure, definitely. And you know, I think um, you know, previous to all this, I, I did do uh um, training in in pharmacology and, and toxicology. And one of the things within pharmacology was personalized medicine and did a, a bunch of work on, on different, you know, pharmacogenomics. So how genetics affect how someone processes a medication, right? And and I think that was in itself very interesting and, and got me a bit more interested in into that that personalization. Now when it comes to nutrition, I think you know, personalized nutrition or precision nutrition, it's, it's definitely a very, very interesting field. I think there might be times where there's a lot of kind of commercial interest that might be overhyping its potential at this point, or maybe trying to push the science a little too far. So just a, a caution there, but on the whole, there definitely is something around personalization. And, um, you know, there's some very interesting studies that when you 
when you look at a certain diet pattern and they said, well, on average, this diet pattern didn't work, but then they went back and they actually looked at each individual that was in there. And there's actually a, a, a sub, a, a maybe half that actually it did work really well for and half it didn't work well for, and it kind of nets out and averages out. And I think there's probably layers in there that are getting at the fact that we can perhaps personalize things a little bit. There's been a lot more research on different kind of genetic testing that might determine how a certain diet pattern might work for someone. There may be um, different diet patterns work better based on if you have kind of insulin resistance or not. So there's a, a lot there. There's other ones that may affect how you maybe how full you get with certain foods, right? So there's, there's all sorts of really interesting signals out there that we can personalize things a little bit better. And, and I think with time, we'll have more tests that get us there faster. But in the meantime, at least looking at at these kind of like the RX food patterns, for example, um, you can try different things and, and actually look at how it's doing for someone. And if one pattern isn't working, you can switch it up and try to tweak it a little bit, you know, shift the, the types of eating patterns and see if that makes a difference. So uh, I think we're going to see more and more of that. I think that's really a very interesting field. And, and then, you know, there's other factors too, that are just even possibly, um, you know, kind of the order that you eat food, or um, maybe if you kind of make a change first, will it have better benefit long term? And an example of that was uh, an, an interesting study where they were looking at uh, probiotics uh, and fiber foods. And the goal was to get people to increase probiotic foods and fiber foods. Um, and interestingly enough, the group that increased probiotics first and then increased their fiber um, actually had better microbiome diversity than those that that increased the fiber first and then the probiotics uh, as, as a less like significant component of it. And so, it, you know, the one potential theory was, you know, did it did the probiotic group just have more diversity? Uh, in their microbiome uh, of, of good bacteria. And then on top of that, the fiber helped promote um, those certain types of species that they had. So, you know, I think this is just one example that there's a whole bunch that we have to learn uh, and we don't fully know exactly how to do it, but we should be mindful that that there's a number of factors that are going to determine uh, what makes a difference in terms of, of impact of nutrition. And, and the other one that I find interesting too is, um, if everyone ever were to wear like with diabetes has a continuous glucose monitor, which me measures glucose, you know, every five or 15 minutes, there's, uh, you can do some really interesting studies there that even determine the order that you eat your food on a plate. And so if you eat your carbs first, you may see a higher spike in your glucose, which is not as good uh, versus if you eat your carbs last after proteins and fats, you may see a different lower spike from the glucose. So um, I think it's just layering in the fact that there's uh, more and more uh, precision that we can do. And the more we can measure, um, the better we'll be to be able to go forward uh, with recommendations that are you know evidence-based and, and, and valuable. That's very interesting. I was, uh, I have not seen that study yet. The glucose, the time to, I mean, I'm aware of timed eating and things like that, but I think it's more like a lot of bodybuilders or, or athletes, they focus on when to eat their protein and that type of thing. But that's very interesting. I didn't realize even in like the same sitting. So like, you know, within a 20 minute span, I guess that can have a difference. It's very interesting. I want to, I want to zoom out a little bit. So we're talking, like you've been talking about how you're helping your patients and we're in personalized medicine and your success with that. But if we zoom out and look at, you know, the medical field at, at large, do you find, and we talked about it at the beginning about doctors generally not having 
too much nutrition training. Do you find any resistance when you're, when you're promoting, you know, certain eating patterns? I know culturally plant-based diets might not be as contentious as, you know, using the term vegan or something like that, but I know that there is pushback to it because it goes against, you know, the mainstream grain. Um, do you find pushback a lot among your colleagues at all when you're promoting these uh, diet patterns? Yeah, it's a, you know, I'll say, and, and maybe this is again, cause I've, I've just been doing it for the last kind of couple of years, but I, I think I've seen a lot more acceptance um, than there used to be for sure. Um, no doubt there is a lot more resistance. I think as we have more champions, more evidence, uh, more centers globally um, starting to show the benefit of, of plant-based diets. Uh, I think that is helping at least for, I think, um, you know, the, newer generation as younger physicians, I, I think they, they're definitely um, much more open to it. So I think that's a very positive shift. Um, I think there's still, you know, some resistance to the fact that of, of full plant-based diets, I think maybe where it's easier sell or people saying, you know, partial or, you know, mostly plant-based diets, but I think it's, you know, so when you try to get to that all, I think maybe you have a few more uh, people resisting that and saying, well, you know, there's deficiencies and other challenges to it and why not let them have a little bit. So that's probably been the biggest uh, contention that I have uh, encountered, but I still think that that is still progress. And I think it will um, continue to kind of set the ability um, for more and more acceptance of plant-based diets. Yeah. And, and speaking of, I guess in Canada, we've got the the most recent food guide more or less promotes a plant predominant diet and removes things like milk from, from needed nutrients. Um, so yeah, I mean, I guess if you're following the science, then you'll see that these patterns do have, there's evidence to, to support them. So I guess that kind of leads into my next question then. So, I mean, again, doctors, they're smart people. And they're doing what they're doing to help patients. But again, they don't always necessarily get all the training that they need nutrition. Mm -hmm. So I guess uh, my question would be like, how crucial is it to educate physicians and how to use, I guess, how to read nutrition science and then to utilize those things in the field? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think it, I think it's absolutely critical. And I think it's also, there's like some fundamental issues, even before you get to, um, I need to keep up on the science. I think people just need to to take that step back and realize that, you know, they need to pay attention to, you know, nutritional science and the research there. Um, you know, I think we've got a whole bunch of, I mean, stepping back again, there's so much information coming out all the time with new research that just keeping up in medicine is hard. Uh, we've got tools that curate studies and, you know, send those emails to physicians and, and they're often focused on, you know, pharmacotherapy for certain conditions or, you know, that, and, and I think even just realizing that we need to add nutritional science interventions as a key component of your kind of CME and keeping up I think that's that's probably a really fundamental step and just and that might start earlier on right with education and saying you know we we you know nutritional science uh, needs to be part of your your cornerstone of of thinking right and and it needs to be part of what you keep up with and at least one way or another have some sort of resource that lets you keep up with the the research and studies are going in there so at the very least you can skim some of the the big major studies going on and if you then find one interesting you read more about it so you know I, i'm just trying to get people to appreciate the power 
of, of some of the, the nutritional science studies out there, um, particularly helping people with plant-based diets and then just getting them to just monitor uh, and appreciate. And, and then from there, I think you can then, uh, I think getting them to adopt it becomes, you know, a little bit easier with the caveat that, uh, you know, I am a bit concerned about time pressures in medicine and the fact that whenever we talk about making recommendations for, you know, a more plant-based diet or any sort of dietary interventions, it takes time. And uh, I am quite concerned that we don't have enough access to dietitians and others that have that time to be able to talk about these changes with patients. So, you know, I think the first step is physicians have to appreciate, but the second thing is they actually need easy ways to be able to implement. And um, I think that takes time. And in our current system, there's always going to be risk that they don't have the time to be able to do it effectively. And so we need other ways. And, and again, I'm not saying RX food is the solution here, but more scalable, more packaged, more, uh, even more specialists in planning that you can refer to whatever it is that just to allow them to realize that one, it matters. And two, I can actually do something easily that will help my patient for it. So those are, I think, the two key points uh, around education and, and in some ways, maybe a bit of a shift to make, again, to, to get that infrastructure in place so it's easier to to implement those for patients. Dr. Alfonsi, thanks so much for coming on the show. Your your app sounds fantastic. Again, we'll, we'll link it into the show notes and it was a pleasure to talk to you. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much uh, for having me. I think this is uh, such an important important, I think, movement that we have to work with. So uh, really appreciate all the work you're doing and, and, and thank you again for having me today. This podcast featured royalty-free music from bensound.com. A very special thanks to our guests for speaking with us and sharing their insights. And of course, thank you for listening. The Plant-Based Canada podcast is an initiative of the group Plant-Based Canada, which aims to educate the public and health professionals on the evidence-based benefits of plant-based whole food nutrition for individual and planetary health. To learn more about the show, visit our website, www.plantbasedcanada.org, and stay up to date by following us on Instagram and Facebook at plantbasedcanada.org and our Plant-Based Canada YouTube channel. Also, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you download your podcasts.